One of my favorite ways to invest is real estate, but not everyone wants to handle tenants and toilets. Enter Fundrise. They make it easy to invest in real estate with their flagship fund. Now, as always, you always have to carefully consider the investment objectives and risks of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. But right now, demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. And the Fundrise flagship fund plans on going on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with just as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash PFP. As always, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash PFP. That's fundrise.com slash PFP. This is a paid advertisement. Spring is a great time of year to do some cleaning around the house and clean up your finances. And something else that you can do for your family this spring is shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius as part of your financial planning for the year. Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses, things like mortgage payments, credit card payments, car loans, or even college costs. I have a wife and two kids, with a third on the way, by the way, and business partners that all depend depend on my income. So I needed life insurance and Policy Genius made that so incredibly easy. And with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. On this episode of the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to talk about should you rent out your old house and a bunch of other questions on this money Q&A. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, founder of MasterMoney.co, and today on the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to be talking through another edition of Money Q&A. If you guys have any questions, make sure you hit us up on Instagram or TikTok at MasterMoneyCo and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you listen to this podcast on. And if you want to help out the show, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That truly does help the show. I cannot thank you guys enough for that. And it helps us spread this message about financial independence to other people as well. And if you're interested in more video content, make sure you check out our Master Money YouTube channel. We are really amping up the quality on that, getting some great feedback on the Master Money YouTube channel. And we are breaking down a bunch of different index funds and ETFs. We are talking about a bunch of different side hustles if you're looking to earn more money. And we just released a video with my four favorite side hustles that you can start right now. And all of them have examples of businesses that have turned into million-dollar businesses. So we just released that on the Master Money YouTube channel as well. Really excited for that video. I I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. Now, today on Money Q&A, 
We have four different questions here, and these are the questions that we are going to be going through. The first one is, how can I set my newborn up for financial success? So we're going to go through an order of operations on how you can do that with a newborn and how you can set up any kids for financial success. Secondly, should I buy a car if the monthly payments fit my budget? We're going to dive into that question. Should you buy a car based on monthly payments or how should you think about that? Third, if I'm looking to move right now, should I keep my old house as a rental property? And we're going to go through that question to see what we should do. And then lastly, we're going to do a 403B guide because we're getting a lot of questions from folks who have 403Bs. And so we're going to dive into the 403B and how it fits into the stairway to wealth. That's the number one question is how does the 403B fit in to the stairway to wealth? So that's the fourth piece that we are going to be going through today on Money Q&A. So if that's something you're into, let's get into it. All right. So question number one is how can I set up my newborn for financial success? So the person who asked this question has a newborn that they just had three months ago and they want to figure out, hey, how can I set them up for financial success? And first of all, it is absolutely amazing that you're even thinking about this. This is something that if you start early on, your kids have one of the most powerful things of all, which is time. And if you start helping your kids early on, you can build a massive amount of wealth. Now, one of the caveats here is a lot of people will kick back when I talk about investing for your children, and they'll say things like, well, they'll be entitled when they get to that point. Well, listen, if you don't want to invest for your children, or if you don't want them to know about some of these accounts, then you don't have to tell them until you know either something happens to you. You can put it in your will. You can put it in your trust, but they don't have to know about this if you are worried about work ethic or anything along those lines. And if you don't want to invest for them, that is your prerogative. Parenting is a very individual thing. So if that's something you do not want to do, then that's your prerogative. But for a lot of people, they are very interested on how they can build wealth for their children. This is what generational wealth is all about, is you have the power to do this, especially with the time horizon that they have. Now, we are working on a stairway to wealth for kids. And when you have children, how you can actually go through that process, depending on how much disposable income you have, that stairway to wealth will kind of walk you through step by step the order of operations for your kids. So we are working on that episode should be coming out fairly soon. So the first thing that you need to be doing is hitting your investment goals first. If you are not hitting your investment goals, then that is the number one thing you need to be doing. You do not need to be investing for your kids prior to you hitting your investment goals. But once you hit those investment goals, maybe it's an HSA, Roth IRA, 401k, depending on what your goals are, then you can move on to these next steps. Now, one thing you can do, even if you're not hitting your investment goals, is making sure that you are adding your children as an authorized user to your credit card if you are responsible with credit cards. If you've ever had credit card debt in the past and you are not responsible with credit cards, I do not want you doing this because you could ruin your children's credit by doing this. But if you are very responsible with credit cards, I mean, you have to have a credit score of 720 or above to even consider this. That's my personal rule. Then you can maybe consider adding your children as an authorized user to their credit card. And what's going to happen here is they're going to have 18 years of credit history because you did this, and it's going to allow them to have a 800 credit score by the time they graduate from high school. So it's a very cool hack that you should consider up front. Now, the next thing that you can do is you can contribute to a 529 plan. The reason why this comes up early on now is the 529 plan has an amazing rule change that is going to take into effect in December of 2024. And what that rule change is, is that you're going to be able to take a portion of the 529 plan. And if your kids don't go to college, you can take $35,000 and roll it into a Roth IRA. So over the course of the lifespan, span of that 529 plan, you could take up to $35,000 and roll it into a Roth IRA. It's an amazing new backup plan. It's going to be in section 126 of the newest bill that came out with the IRS that is going to allow you to do that. 
And when you look at this, this is a very powerful thing because now this means that you can save for college and for your children's retirement at the same time. So maxing out that 529 plan where you can have that $35,000 and roll it over is very, very powerful. And if you get to the point where your kids go to college and you don't maybe need the funds inside of your 529 plan because you've been listening to the personal finance podcast for the last 18 years and you have a ton of wealth built up at this point in time, then you could just roll those $35,000 funds into it and then pay the rest with college or roll it into your next kid's 529 plan as well. Now, what type of 529 plan should you be getting? You need to get a flexible 529 plan. I don't like the state-specific ones. Like, for example, where I live in Florida, we have something called Florida prepaid. I don't like Florida prepaid. Why? Because it's not flexible. There's not a lot of flexibility inside of there. So flexible 529 plans are the way to go. You can get those at Vanguard. You can get those at Fidelity as well. Those are two great places to look at flexible 529 plans where you can invest those dollars in really good funds, things like index funds, ETFs. But in addition, you can also take those funds and you can do different things with them. They have more flexibility than would a traditional Florida prepaid or a state-specific 529 plan. I do not love the state-specific 529 plans. I'm not familiar with all of them, but I knew a lot of them are very restrictive in what you can do with the funds. You don't want to get your money into places where you cannot utilize that money. You want to make sure that the money is flexible. So you want to have always have options when you're investing your dollar. So always think through that when you go through the process. Now, the third thing, after you do these first to is you can do something like a traditional investment account. So if you've ever heard the episode, we talk about how to turn your kids into multimillionaires. We go through this process of my exact process. I talked about this on TikTok and I've talked about it on Instagram as well. On TikTok, it went completely viral. I think it had 5 million views within the first two days. And this is my exact system on how to do it so that you can build generational wealth for your kids. Now, the thing that you can do here is that you can contribute to a brokerage account. The example we used was $100 every single month then every birthday and then every year end or if you celebrate Christmas or whatever other holiday you celebrate at the end of the year, you put $250 each time or an additional $500 bonus every time. And what this does is by the time they turned age 18, you would have contributed a little over $30,000. That money would have grown to right around seventy dollars to $80,000. And then you don't have to contribute another dollar into that account. And here's what's going to happen. By the time your children turned age 65, that money would have grown to $7.6 million if you got a 10% rate of return. 9, 8% rate of return would be somewhat less. But at the same time, you could have a multi-million dollar account just by doing this. The reason why I do it in a brokerage account is just for flexibility. So the brokerage account is in my name, and then I have my children as the beneficiary inside of that account. So it's a really cool way to do this. Now, if your kids already have earned taxable earned income, then they can contribute to a Roth as well, up to whatever their earned income is. So this is a custodial Roth IRA. We will have an entire episode on this. And we will dive deep into this. But a custodial Roth IRA would be next if they have earned income. This would actually go before the brokerage account if they have earned income now. But if they don't have earned income, then you could just do it in the brokerage account because you can only contribute to a Roth with W-2 or taxable earned income. And then lastly, you could do some gift things as well. If you have some extra income, it's like $12,900 plus dollars that you can contribute tax-free to your children as a gift. If you have a ton of extra disposable income, that's another way to do it as well. Now, if you have own a business, you can also pay your children in that business and then contribute that money to a Roth if you want to do it that way. And that's just going to help you reduce some of that tax liability, get a tax deduction. It's a double whammy there. You can get a tax deduction and in addition, help your kids build wealth inside of a Roth. So if you own a business, your kids work inside of that business, you can also do 
that. So that is some of what is going to be coming in that children's stairway to wealth that we have in place. But that is the gist of the beginning order, at least, of how you can build generational wealth for your kids. We're going to have more coming. Don't worry. And we're going to have entire episodes on some of these things. But that is a great place to start is making sure you at least are taking care of your retirement, making sure that you add them as an authorized user on your credit card if you're responsible. And in addition, start investing for them, choosing the investment accounts. The 529 plan is my favorite way to save for college because of this additional rule that's coming into place where you can roll that money into a Roth IRA if they decide not to go to college. Maybe they build a business in their teenage years and they decide not to go to college. And so that's something where you have options when you do that. And we have an episode on the 529 plan, flexible 529 accounts. If you want to check that out as well, we will link it up in the show notes. Now let's jump to the next question. Now is a great time of year to get your finances in order. And no matter what your financial goals are this year, when you use Chime's online checking account, you can cross all those financial to-dos off your list. Chime's online checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-fee overdraft up to $200. Plus, get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go 24-7. And you get access to over 60,000 ATMs. So start building your credit and open a Chime checking account with at least $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com PFP. That's Chime.com PFP. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank, NA, or Stride Bank, NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. And if you need to hire, you need Indeed, because Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And they have a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash personal finance. Just go to Indeed.com slash personal finance right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash personal finance. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the hardest things about managing your money is figuring out where it's all going. And most of us are trying to save for several goals at once, which can feel like a daunting task to see if you're on track or even on pace to accomplishing your goals. But there is a tool that makes it so much easier and it's called Monarch Money. They help you track your money flow without taking a ton of time and energy. And Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. And you can invite them with an extra account with their own login at no extra cost to collaborate with you. And Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can create custom budgets, set notifications, and you can set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications. And after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. That's M-O-N- A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash P-F-P for your extended 30-day free trial.
The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. And most people know one of your biggest struggles when it comes to starting an online business is finding new customers and Shopify can help you do that. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you wanna grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PFP, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash PFP now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash PFP. Number two, should I buy a car if the monthly payments fit my budget? This is a question that I get a lot and I get it way too often. So let me explain something. I'm going to give you the quick answer right now. Never, ever, 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 did I say ever, buy a car based on the monthly payments. This is one of the most predatory things that dealerships do. They try to factor in, hey, how much can you afford based on your monthly payment? Then they make the loan try to fit that payment. So if you notice, whenever you go into a car dealership, they ask you how much you can afford per month because this is how people think. But if you do this this way, if you buy a car based on the monthly payment, you could be paying way more car than you can afford. Now, we've done a number of episodes on how to buy a car. We've done episodes on the crazy impact of owning a car and how much the maintenance costs in addition to car ownership is going to cost you over a long period of time and the opportunity costs that you are losing out on by purchasing that car. But if you have a recycling monthly payment, it is very hard to build wealth. A lot of people will complain they can't build wealth, but the reason why they can't build wealth is because their $1,000 lifted truck car payment or the reason why they can't build wealth is because they just bought a $70,000 Tesla that has a $1,000 payment because they think they can afford that payment. This is not the way to build wealth. Now, if you can afford it, we're going to give you the numbers. We're going to show you how to figure out if you can afford this. But if you can afford the car, fine, no problem there. But a lot of people are buying vehicles that they cannot afford. Now, if you are looking to become financially independent very quickly, then what you really want to do is you want to be buying the least expensive car that you possibly can that is going to be safe and reliable for you to drive to point A to point B. Now, if you're a car person, if you absolutely love cars and you want to spend money on things that bring you value and you value cars that much, then fine. Just know the ramifications of that depreciating asset because that's what it is. It goes down in value every single year. So just know the ramifications of your wealth by buying new cars, buying new car parts, wasting your money on some of those things. Now, it's it's not a waste if it brings you value. This is what I want to make clear to every single person here, because we all have things that bring us value. We all blow money on things that other people think is crazy. But if other people think it's crazy, as long as you budget that out and you are still hitting your investment goals, the key is that you are still hitting your financial and investment goals. You have an emergency fund saved up. You're hitting all your goals. You're maxing out what you want to max out. You're making sure that you're on pace to retire. Then ball out. Do whatever you want with those extra dollars. But if you're not hitting those goals and you're still doing those things, then you are falling 
falling behind and you are losing out on your freedom. And freedom is the most powerful thing that we can put in place. Now, the reason why I want you to understand why you should not be utilizing car payments, I'm going to show you how car payments are calculated first. So obviously it's the price of the car and then the trading value of whatever you're trading in. And then any cash you put down as a down payment, and then the total amount of the loan, which is the principal, and then the interest rate on the loan, and the number of months it would take you to pay off that loan. That is how car payments are calculated. Now, if that sounds confusing to you, it's because that's the way they want it to be. They want it to be confusing to you so that you don't understand that this is really bad financial decision to only calculate buying a car based on those car payments. So a better way to buy a car, there's a couple of different ways. We've gone through a bunch of them in the past before, but some of the best ways and one of my favorite ways to do it is buy a car a few years used because it reduces in value on that depreciation hit. And then you can figure out if you can actually afford it. So we have a couple of rules of thumb that we've talked about in the past on how to buy a car. And I've got a couple of these here, but you got to figure out, can I actually afford the car? So we actually do this based on what your income is. So the highest you should go based on the rule of thumb, let's say you have a low income, but you have kids and you want to make sure you have the safest car possible, should be 35% or less of your entire income for one year. So if you make $100,000 a year, you should not spend more than $35,000 on a vehicle. Now, car prices have gone up significantly since we started these rules of thumb. So if you want to find flexibility in here, you're going to have to reduce your costs in other areas of the big three, either food, housing, transportation, or something else that you spend a lot of money on. The fire rule of thumb is to spend 10% of your income on a vehicle. Now, this is difficult for a lot of people, but if you want to be financially independent in 10 years or less, that's the thought process that you should have. Now, Is that realistic for everyone? Absolutely not. I understand that. But if you're really being aggressive and you want to retire really, really early, then that is a great rule of thumb to have to reduce those costs in place. And the compromise rule of thumb is anywhere between 15 to 20% of your income on that vehicle. Or you could do it with the net worth rule when our net worth rule was 5% of your income on that vehicle. Now I'm going to give you one other rule of thumb or school of thought here as you go through this. This is one that I think is a lot more applicable to now when car prices are really high. But the rule of thumb is called the 23-8 rule. You put 20% down. So you have to at least put a down payment of 20% down, whether it's your trade-in value or not. You put that 20% down on the vehicle. Your loan is no longer than three years long. And your payments are less than 8% of your income every single year, meaning 8% of your pre-tax income for all the payments throughout the entire year. See, what a lot of people do is they make $50,000 a year and they have a $1,000 a year car payment. Well, that's just not going to cut it. It's got to be 8% or less of your pre-tax income for the entire year. So I like that rule for right now when car prices are crazy and they're really high. And if you really need a car, then that is the way to go. If you don't really need a car, then keeping your vehicle, especially if it has no payments, is always the best way to go. Just drive that thing as long as possible. So for example, I bought my car in 2019 and it was was a year old. It already took a major depreciation hit. This was before car prices got crazy and it's a truck. And so I have always wanted a truck and I am just going to drive that thing as long as I possibly can. In fact, I'm going to make a game out of this and try to drive it all the way up to 15, 20 years and see how long I can drive it. Why? Because cars are not my primary goal. Having the nicest car is not my primary
primary goal. My primary goal is safety from getting point A to point B, having the vehicle that I wanted and just driving it for a very long period of time. Why? Because I'd rather put my dollars towards wealth building activities and I care more about other things than I do driving that car. So making sure that you go through this process, thinking through exactly how long you want to drive this car. And then I like the 23-8 rule for right now when car prices are high. That's how I think you need to think about it. That means 20% down. Your car loan is no longer than three years because dealerships try to stretch it out for 72 months, 84 months. And all of a sudden you're making car payments for years and years and years at a time. And they're just collecting interest on that. That's why they're incentivized to do that. And then no more than 8% of your gross income spent on car payments every single year. So that's how you can still generate a ton of wealth and still have a bunch of extra dollars towards wealth building activities for a lot of different situations. So think through that. That is a great rule of thumb. And if you're looking to become financially independent in less than 10 years, I would make it 10% of your total income as the car purchase price. And the highest rule of thumb is the highest you should go is 35% of one year's income on a purchase price. So thinking through this, let me know if you guys have any questions on Instagram or shoot me an email and we can go through some of the other options as well. Okay, the next question. For those looking to move right now, should you hold on to your house and rent it out? So this is a fantastic strategy if you are interested in getting into real estate. Specifically, if you're someone who is interested in getting into real estate long-term or you wanna do something like the hybrid method, if you don't know what the hybrid method, that's what we call investing in real estate or businesses and investing in the stock market as well. This is a great way to have your first property. Is you have this property in place, and I'm gonna show you why, because you have a bunch of exit strategies that are still tax-free but you have this property in place that you lived in. So you know the property inside and out. You know what types of things need to be fixed in that property. And you know there's gonna be much less surprises than there would be if you were just buying a random rental property that you've never lived in. Because you lived in that house, you know which pipes make weird noises, you know which lights fixtures are kind of blinking, you know if the roof is getting older, you know what all the issues are inside of that house. And if your house is one where you are okay with it potentially getting messed up, scuffed up because you have renters in there and it's not gonna emotionally bother you, and then this is a fantastic option for you. Now, one thing that you can think about here is that you have a bunch of options if you do this because you have a five-year trial period, basically, if you sell that house, where you can use this house as your trial run to see if you are interested in real estate. Why do I say that? Now, one thing to note here is that you have a three-year trial run to see if you actually like real estate, which is why I love this strategy for new investors. Because what happens is if you've lived in the property for two of the last five years, and if you're married and you sell the property and the profit is $500,000 or less, then you can utilize that money as tax-free income because you lived in that property two of the last five years. So you have a three-year time frame here where you could say, hey, do I like investing in rental properties? Do I like managing properties and tenants? Do I like the way that this is helping me build wealth? Is this something that I'm interested in? Because you can still have that exit strategy of selling that property as long as the market doesn't go down. You got to anticipate holding for a long time if the market goes down. But if the market does not go down, you have that option to exit that way tax-free still. So this gives you the trial run. Maybe you go through one year and you say, hey, real estate investing is not for me. It takes a lot more work than I thought it did. I'm just going to stick with stocks, index funds, ETFs, those types of things. But if you like investing in rental properties, maybe this is your caveat to learning how to do it. You already know this house inside and out, and then you can go out and you could buy more properties. That is one thing to consider as well. Now, how do you decide if a house is actually even going to make you money 
if you move out of it. So you got to know how to run the numbers on a rental property. Now, we have an episode on how to run the numbers on a rental property, so you can go back and listen to that and figure out exactly how to do this. But you need to know how to run your numbers and you need to know how to run them properly before you can actually even consider this option because deciding if it can cash flow is one of the most powerful things that you can do in order to make money. You make all your money in real estate going into the deal. You do not make any money in real estate by forcing appreciation afterwards. All your money is made by making sure you run your numbers correctly and doing the due diligence up front. You've already done the repair due diligence because you lived in the house. So you need to understand how much is this going to cost me every single month that you can go back and look at some of your receipts to see what is my maintenance cost been. You have another advantage by doing that and seeing some of those maintenance costs. You can say, hey, this roof lasts 20 years. It's already 15 years old. I got five years left before this capital expenditure of my roof is coming up due. I need to factor that in. Is this going to cash flow if I have five years to save up for that roof? So this is another way that you can really have an advantage for that house. Now, thinking through this option, once you run the numbers, if it cash flows and you want to invest in real estate, this may be a fantastic option for you to do that. Now, the third thing, if you need the funds for a down payment on your next house, then this may not be an option for you as well. Because if you need that down payment, you got to make sure that your next house is going to be 30% or less of your net income so that you can make sure that you are not becoming house poor on the next house. So if you need that down payment, which a lot of folks do, especially in today's real estate climate when prices are really high, then this may not be the best option for you. But if you've saved up for your next down payment, keeping that house may be an awesome way for you to start your real estate journey and start earning some cash flow. The next one is what is a 403B and how does it fall into place with the stairway to wealth? So a 403B is going to fall into place the same place as a 401k would. And we're going to go through what a 403B is, how it works, and some of the considerations that you should have. But a 403B, as it pertains to the stairway to wealth, will fall into place exactly how a 401k would. These are interchangeable depending on where you work and what your company does. So if you don't know what a 403B is, it is a retirement plan, just like a 401k, for employees of nonprofit organizations, public schools, so a lot of teachers are going to have 403Bs available for them and tax-exempt organizations. So it's very similar to a 401k where you contribute a portion of your salary to a tax advantage account. Now, the contributions on a 403b are pre-tax, meaning they're reducing your taxable income and they grow tax-free until withdrawal in retirement. And then when you withdraw the money in retirement, then you're going to pay taxes on that money at that point in time. Now, there are differences between the 403b and something like a 401k or an IRA. So the 403b is only available to employees of these certain organizations. So not everyone has access to a 403b. It's only employees of some of the organizations that actually qualify. Well, an IRA is available to anybody. Now, 403B contribution limits are higher than a traditional IRA, but they are the same as something like the 401k. So the current 403B contribution limits for 2023 at the time recording this is $22,500. And the catch-up contribution is the same. It's an additional $7,500 for those age 50 and older. If you're listening to this in the future, make sure you're checking the current contribution limits. If it's 2024 or 2025 to make sure they didn't go up because they may have gone up at that point in time. Now, here's a couple of ways to increase your contribution limits. One of which is you always want to get your 403B match. So if your employer is willing to match, you always want to get that match. And that's at least at minimum what you should be doing with your 403B. Why? Because an employer match is absolutely free money. Now, if you've never heard of an employer match, what it is, is maybe, for example, some employers will say, hey, if you contribute 4% of your income to your 403B, then we will match that 4% and you will 
have 8%. It's 4% free money that you actually get. So every $100 that you put in, that's part of that 4%, you're going to get an additional $100 given to you inside of that account, inside of this tax advantage account. So it's a very powerful thing that you can be doing. Now, should you invest in your 403B? There's a couple of considerations to think about here. Number one is you got to look at the fees of the investments inside of that account. Do you actually like the investments inside of the 403B? Some 403Bs are notorious for having high fee investments, especially if they work with a provider that has really high fee investments. So making sure you're looking at those fees, and if those fees are really high, then you may want to consider investing in an IRA, in a Roth IRA, before you go back to your 403B, because having high fees inside of your investments will absolutely destroy your wealth building ability. And we've talked about that in a number of Q&As. We have an entire episode talking about that as well. But you want to make sure that you are avoiding those fees at all costs. If they have really high fees, go to an IRA, consider an IRA or a Roth IRA, or even a taxable brokerage at some point in time would be better off than having really high fee investments. Secondly, if you don't like the investment options, say for example, inside they only have mutual funds inside there and you want to invest in index funds, for example. If you don't like those investment options, then you're better off going towards an IRA, Roth IRA, then going back to the 403B once you max all of those out if you have the extra disposable income to do so. So considering if you like those investments, considering if the fees are high, and if you're wondering, hey, how much is a really high fee? Well, anything, in my opinion, above 0.30% is going to be pretty high, and above 0.50% or 50 basis points is really high. And if you don't know how to look up fees for a mutual fund or an index fund or whatever it is, just take the ticker symbol, go to morningstar.com, put it in there, and it will show you what the fee is for that fund. And so making sure it's less than a half a percent is imperative, but making sure it's less than 0.3% is even better. Because if it's more than 0.3%, you can go get a robo-advisor to handle your funds for you, and you don't have to worry about it. Now, Vanguard index funds and ETFs typically are somewhere around 0.04% to 0.15%. So that's some really low cost index funds that you can look into if you want to keep those fees lower. But making sure that you like the investments in that account and that the fees are low enough and it fits your investment strategy is the two things you want to consider to see if you actually want to invest in the 403B. And to wrap it up, the 403B will fit into the 401k option when we're talking about the 401k in the stairway 12. Listen, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Money Q&A. If you guys have any questions, make sure you hit us up on Instagram, TikTok at Master Money Co. and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you're listening to this podcast on right now. And if you guys are enjoying the show, share it with a friend and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcast player you're listening on. I truly appreciate that. That helps us grow this show and teach other people how they too can build generational wealth. Again, my goal is to teach every single person how you can build generational wealth and bring as much value to you as possible. So I cannot thank you guys enough for doing that. If you guys have any questions, make sure you reach out and we will see you on the next episode. Everyone's heard the saying, you have to spend money to make money, but everything in life from travel to starting a business is expensive, which is why I want to tell you about a new podcast I love that will teach you all the tactics, tricks, and tips you need to upgrade your life, money, and even travel all while spending less and saving more. It's called all the hacks and it's a top ranked show hosted by my good friend, Chris Hutchins a financial optimizer, an entrepreneur who's racked up millions of points, and he sold two companies. 
And if you want to rethink the way you're spending money, you have to check out the episode 91 with Bill Perkins and why you should be optimizing for net fulfillment and not net worth and striving to die with zero. All the hacks has something for everyone, and I'm sure you'll find a new tactic that you can apply to your own life, whether it's a money hack that increases your net worth or a routine change that boosts your productivity. So check out All the Hacks. That's All the Hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later.